So thanks for lifting your voices. Uh, so grateful, you know, even as uh, many of you have just continued to pray for the Glade family and just, just alongside them, uh, trying to have compassion, recognizing what it must be like for a couple of years of the challenges, really, that, that Ryan's faced, and to give God praise and thanks for for medical technology and skilled surgeons uh, who just on Monday of this week removed uh, a portion of his body and then he's here on Sunday. Uh, so praise God for, uh, for his work in Ryan's body. We know there's a lot of work yet to be done uh, and so we want to continue to come alongside them in, in prayer. And so thank you for being a church that cares and prays for one another. Uh, it's, uh, it's good to be together on this morning. Uh, hopefully uh, many of you, as I said, can stick around afterwards uh, for the annual business meeting as well. But uh, go ahead and open your Bible uh, to Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, I'll just, just make this comment, and I'm sure you could maybe say amen to it. Our world is weird. Our world is weird. And what we as Christians, when we look at a world that is changing in a number of ways, and that might be our assessment of it, it's probably good for us to also recognize that the world's assessment of us as Christians is that we are looking increasingly weird to the world around us. What we see maybe as weird might become increasingly normal to the world, and we might look increasingly weird to the world around us. And I say, well, so be it. Uh, Those who stick with Jesus are going to stick out in this world. We in our church just on Sunday mornings go from the beginning of a book of the Bible to the end of a book. We pick easy books, we pick hard books, we pick long books, we pick short books. And we've been in the book of Hebrews for a while now. And Hebrews, if I'm honest, has been challenging in many ways. There's a lot of weeks where as I study I'm in my office, I'm studying, I know I'm going to preach this passage to the church this week. This is good, this is rich, and this is really hard to know exactly how this is applicable and relevant uh, to our church today. I think a lot of it is because it's a book, like a sermon really, written to be preached to a number of different first century Jewish people who are struggling as persecution begins to rise. And I'm a 21st century Gentile person living in relative prosperity, ease, and comfort. So so it's been hard always to totally relate. But you've heard again and again the central message of the book of Hebrews. Really the first 10 chapters covering this idea. Jesus is better. And the constant encouragement throughout and especially emphasized starting in chapter 10 verse 19 has been the last half of that. Jesus is better... So, stick with Jesus. Or Jesus is better, so endure by faith. Don't don't give in to the temptation to go back to an easier life before Christ, but stick with Jesus. And as we get to the final chapter of the book now, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at the final chapter, and here, you'll notice a difference in tone. Where we're suddenly... For us, for me, these things just seem so much more immediately relevant. We're going to see a number of commands with the basic idea being this. If you really believe that Jesus is better, and so you choose to stick with Jesus, you increasingly will stick out in the world around us. And so here's the argument for today. 
because we stick with Jesus, let's stick out by loving one another and living holy lives with the help of the Lord who is with us. That's the argument for today. We're just going over six verses, uh, but they are full and they are rich. And if you are able, because it is the very Word of God that I'm reading, please stand. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. Uh, Let me first pray. God, I pray that once again you would convince us more that Jesus is better than anything that you would again strengthen us to be people who endure by faith. And that you, by your Holy Spirit right now in this place on this morning, would come and convict us of sin. Because when we see commands, it's easy for us to see how we have failed. And would you remind us of the gospel, of the forgiveness that is ours in Christ, and then would you, by your Holy Spirit, equip us to put that sin to death and equip us to obey for your glory In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 13, 1 through 6, the Word of God says this Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Man, you can be seated. There in your bulletin is a sermon notes page along with the life group guide. I uh, invite you to use that if that is helpful for you, not only now but later as well. In the passage, there's seven commands. Most of them are accompanied by a reason or a promise. You maybe heard that as I just read it just now. There's really kind of two sections, one focused on loving others, and another section focused on living lives of personal holiness. Often when I preach, I'm pretty much every time I preach, I guess, you'll, you'll note that I make a pretty clear distinction between exposition of the text, this is what it says and what it meant to the original audience, and what it means for us, the application of the text. In today's passage, there's not much of a gap at all between the commands and what they meant to them and what these commands are for us. And so you won't see uh, separate points of application because application will just be kind of woven in throughout all of this as we walk through these verses. But the first section, the first three verses, have the first three commands, and they're really all together about love. It begins with this simple command. Let brotherly love continue. Brotherly love, you might be aware that that in Greek, which is the language the New Testament was written in, there's multiple words that they use, and we just use them all and translate all of them as love, because we don't have as many different words for love as they do. This word is actually here, the word Philadelphia. Uh, We we have a city, you've heard of that, right? Philadelphia. 
Uh, but that just means brotherly love or family love. The kind of love that we are to have for and express to one another in a family is the command that we see here in verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. The fact that he says, let it continue, implies that there is some sort of threat that would cause it to not continue. Right? You have to be told to, to do something if there's a threat of stopping to do it. So, so up to this point, the churches have expressed brotherly love, family love for one another. But there's some sort of threat. Remember the context. The context is persecution and suffering are on the rise if you are going to stick with Jesus in this time. And you know this from living in a family yourself, that when stressful situations, when stress starts to rise in a family system, a lot of strife can come with it. People suddenly become less patient with each other, right? And so, so this command, as persecution and suffering start to rise, it's going to get harder. It's going to get harder to follow Christ, and it's going to get harder to love each other within the family. And so, the command, let brotherly love continue. We need to hear this command just as much as they do. We don't live in a world right now where persecution is rapidly rising in the same way that it was for them. But we live in a world that quickly divides over anything and everything. And we need to recognize, listen, we live in a church family where people have different perspectives on some things. And we can figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus even if we have disagreement about baptism, about politics, about songs, about parenting strategies or whatever else. We can have people that fall into different camps in all of those areas and yet follow Jesus and learn to follow Jesus together. And the command is that we let brotherly love continue. That any of those things that would threaten the love we have for each other, we must not Allow them to take that away. We must let brotherly love continue. We're a family filled with goofy grandmas and weird uncles and awkward teenage cousins. Like all of us, we're, we're here together as a family and we must love one another like a family. Remember, how did Jesus say the world would know who his disciples were? John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That includes the one another's who have hurt us. That includes the one another's who annoy you. We love one another. And I would say to our church specifically, let brotherly love continue. I am grateful I'll mention this more in, our, in my report in our annual business meeting after this, but I am grateful to be a part of a church where there is brotherly love. There's not, there's not high levels of conflict or anything like that, but brotherly love continues in this church, and I am grateful for it. One of the just very simple expressions of that is just the way you love one another. Our benevolent offering, you, we do that once a month, and the elders are aware of needs in the church, and we are able, because of your generous giving, not just to our general fund, but to that benevolent fund, to, to help people that are in need in various times in our church. And the way that people feel, uh, and we've heard this expressed to us, they just feel loved and cared for as we are able to give them money that you have given to distribute to those in particular times of need. So thank you for that. 
We're going to send out a message this week as, as the glades readjust to life at home and prepare for another surgery. Uh, we're going to say, okay, their life group has provided some meals for them in the past. Let's open it up to everybody. Let's, let's provide some meals uh, for them. That's another way. That we, just, we take care of one another in a family. And then we've got more commands. They're really under this umbrella of loving one another. The next command there is in verse 2. It says this, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And then the reason, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Well, that's an interesting reason to show hospitality to strangers. He's probably referring back to Genesis 18 where, where strangers showed up and, and Abraham showed hospitality to them. That was very common in those ancient Near Eastern cultures. And he's saying just, just like that, we need to be those who show hospitality to strangers. In fact, literally you could say loving strangers. That, that idea of entertaining angels unawares, at the very least it means we need to not just see everybody as merely ordinary people. C.S. Lewis once wrote this, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Right? Just this idea, this idea that every single person you come into contact with in any single day are made in the image of God and they will spend eternity somewhere. And we need to be more aware of the strangers around us, people that we don't know well. We must see them through this kind of lens. And here's what I don't want us to forget, though, about this command. I think maybe particularly for us, the begin- note, the command could have been this. It could have started with, show hospitality to strangers. But that's not the full command. What is the full command there in verse 2? Look at it. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. He could have just said, do not show hospitality to strangers. Why add that do not neglect? I think it's helpful for us because we are busy people who live busy lives. We have task lists and we need to think about this. How many people do we just look right through every day? They're not complete strangers to us. We, we come across them in the course of a, a work day or whatever, but we just often look right through them, fail to even really notice them. Kids who go to school, think about this. Kids who go to school, how many kids at school are just desperate for attention? And, and, and you know maybe who they are, but you never really even talk to them. Just, just a, a a quick word or a friendly smile can really be a way of showing hospitality to a stranger, showing them that you love them, that you care about them. How many people at work or at the store, people that we just walk by, maybe we even interact with but fail to do anything that communicates to them that we love them? I was convicted of this just this week, I think it was. A place here in town that Kirsten and I frequently go to Somebody that I've, I've run into many times in that place that I've talked to in the past a number of times actually said to Kirsten, either this week or last week, said to Kirsten, how come your husband never talks to me anymore? Whew. He's just honest. I used to just stop. You know, in the, I wasn't there to talk with that person. I was there to do something else. But I would usually stop and have a conversation. I guess I've just kind of forgotten about it. How easy is it? So we need to hear, I need to hear this command, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Just simple acts of like having a conversation 
more particularly, even hospitality would include like have it like letting them know you notice them and desire a relationship with them, inviting them over to your messy house and sharing with them a mediocre meal. Right? Just like you don't have to impress people. Like you're not Martha Stewart. I probably wouldn't want to eat a meal with her anyway. Right? Just just have people over to your messy house and share a mediocre meal. Rosaria Butterfield in her book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key simply says this. Hospitality shares what there is. That's all. It's not entertainment. It's not supposed to be. Right? Like you got stuff. Share it with people. You got a house. It's messy. Fine. Bring people in. Stop trying to impress people or entertain people, but start showing hospitality to strangers. How many of our neighbors can we name? How many of our neighbors have been in our homes? Church, it's tempting. Uh, We can easily fill up our calendars with all of our own stuff and leave no margin for giving attention to and not neglecting strangers. It's really possible. Possible because many of us are in the process of doing it. But this is one way we could stick out in our world. Because it's, it's pretty rare in our world for people to like notice other people. Even to do simple things like make eye contact, listen, ask good questions. Just show people that you value them, that you notice them, that you see them. Invite them even into your home. Not many are doing this. We're going to stick out and be weird if we do. But it's a command here in verse 2. Command in verse 3. Verse 3, the command is, remember. Look at verse 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. So two groups mentioned here, those who are prisoners and those who are mistreated. It's likely because of persecution being on the rise that there are already some friends, brothers and sisters in Christ of people in these churches who have been imprisoned. And so he might be referring to that. Like, these are your friends. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're now in jail because of their faith. And, and they're not going to be cared for. They don't have the same standards that we do. And so if you're going to be cared for in a prison, somebody from the outside has to come and care for you. You go do that. Remember those who are in prison. Don't forget about them. It might also just refer to anybody who's in prison. Maybe because in prison because they have committed a crime. Maybe they're a brother and sister in Christ. Maybe they're not. But remember those who are in prison and those who are mistreated. And notice the reasons it has there in verse 3. It says, as though in prison with them. I use the word compassion here in my title, and it doesn't show up there, but that's the idea. The word compassion isn't in the text, but that's the idea. You remember those in prison as though you are in prison with them. Put yourself in their shoes. Put yourself behind those bars. And then, and then later in that same verse where it says in verse 3, uh, since you also are in the body, not likely they're talking to the, the body of Christ, but just like you also have a body. You know, you know what it would feel like to be mistreated in the way that some people are mistreated. And because of that, have compassion. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. Again, are we guilty of just failing here? Yeah. Right? I, I can think of examples from my own life like now. 
Uh, one of my first experiences in getting involved, like God revealing to me that I was called to pastoral ministry was in doing prison ministry. And we, we have opportunities right around us uh, with the state training school where there's going to be some opportunities that we're going to hear from uh, in the next couple of weeks from Ryan, who's one of the chaplains at the state training school. You don't know that yet, but we're going to talk to you. We're going to give you an opportunity uh, to share with us. I'm telling you right now. Uh, him an opportunity to share with us, hey, what are some ways that our church could be involved in volunteering at the state training school that remember those who are in prison, right? Uh, a number of you are, are, are familiar with Dawn, Ron and Linda's daughter, who has been in prison for a number of years now, uh, was with our church for a, beer, a period of time between when she committed her crime and when she uh, went to prison, uh, and I have failed uh, to, to pray for her and write to her as often as I should. It's easy for us to forget those things that are not right in front of us. And often those who are in prison and those who are mistreated, we don't see that and so we forget. And so the command here is remember. Remember those who are in prison. How many people around us do we just forget about? People in prison, people who are stuck in their homes, people in nursing homes, fellow believers, like our missions partners, the Oyebades. They live in Nigeria. That's far away from here. There, there are kidnappings and murders happening all around them all the time, and we fail to pray for them as much as we should. We should pray as though we were in Nigeria with them, right? God, give us eyes to see and minds to remember those who are isolated and mistreated and suffering. We can easily forget this. So that's the first three verses focused on loving others. The second we'll go through more quickly. It's under this heading, Live Holy Lives. And just as the author could have given many examples of how we love other people, he chose two, hospitality and remembering those who are in prison and mistreated. Here, when you're talking about living a holy life, sticking out in the world around us, he could have chosen all kinds of different topics, but chooses two here, and there's two commands associated with each of the two topics. The topics he chooses, chooses are marriage and money. Marriage and money. If I were picking a couple uh, where we could stick out more as believers, I might pick the same two in our culture here today. Marriage and money. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says this, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Think again of the historical context, maybe you're not aware of it, but in the Greco-Roman world in the first century, it was totally normal and acceptable, especially for men, Almost, not even, not even just accepted, but like expected. That they would live in what we would call gross sexual immorality. Everything ranging, ranging from prostitution, pedophilia, homosexuality, all of that was just kind of like normal, expected adultery, just expected of men especially in that time. So one way for Christians in the first century to live holy lives would be to do something very weird, and that is, Enjoy a sexual relationship only between one marriage between one man and one woman. They would stick out if they were to live like that. Church, it is 
right for us to look at our world and in many ways kind of shake our heads when it comes to these areas. The entire array of sexual identities and sexual activities that are not only accepted in our culture today, but are celebrated in our culture today, under a growing list of initials, those things, wrong. But even in more natural sexual relationships between men and women, there is still all sorts of opportunity for sin. Adultery runs rampant and is ruining families. Hooking up is far too common. Living together before marriage is becoming the norm in the culture around us. Pornography, in fact, the word translated sexual immorality here is actually just the Greek word pornos, right? Pornography is destroying the minds and bodies of men and women, boys and girls, young and old. I could share statistics that would scare you, but just know this is pervasive and this is destructive. And so these things come with a warning. Notice this. Don't shy away from what Scripture says. It says, For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. What our world needs is for those who stick with Jesus to stick out when it comes to marriage. Think about what opportunity we have as Christians living in marriage or not living in marriage called to model for the world the beauty of marriage as God created it. One man, one woman living joyfully together. Woman joyfully submitting to her husband. A husband loving his wife like Christ loved the church. Giving himself up. Sacrificing his own flesh, his own desires for the good of his wife. In a world where people find temporary pleasures in pornography and sexual relationships outside of marriage, we in the church need to help one another resist these temptations and show the world the beauty of God's design while warning them that those who do not live according to God's design in these ways will experience judgment. Well, that'll make us stick out in the world. And the second pair of commands here in verse 5 will similarly cause us to stick out in the world. Verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Two commands there. Keep your life free from the love of money and secondly, be content with what you have. We have a lot. Compared to most people in all of history, compared to most people in the rest of the world, we have a lot. We live with prosperity that most of the first century Christians first hearing this sermon never would have even dreamed of. And if you have attained much wealth, that's not in and of itself a problem, but here's where the problem is. We can start to love money. You can love money if you're poor and you can love money if you're rich, right? And so the command is, keep your life free from the love of money. We live in a world that is barraging, is barraging, like can I say it that way? I don't know. Gives, like, I, I, can't, I can't even form a sentence right now. But you get the idea that there is a barrage, I'm going to say it that way. There is a barrage of messages from the world around us, no matter what you're doing. You're driving down the road, you're listening to something on your phone, you're scrolling through something. Everything, everybody's paid for ads. 
Because ads get our attention and remind us that we are lacking something and our life would be better if we had what we're now lacking. Right? That's the message we hear. So we live in a world that is telling us again and again, we can't get away from it, you need more. And if you have more, you'd be happier. That's the world that we live in. And we have a sinful flesh that's prone to believe it. And prone to not be content with what we have. And we have an enemy who would love us to spend our whole lives and all of our money just accumulating things and then cleaning our things. Because if you get things, you have to clean them. You've recognized that, right? And then you have to sort out your things. And then you have to shop for new things, but then there's not enough space for your new things, so you take your old things to the thrift store. And then while you're there, you shop at the thrift store and buy other people's old things and take them to your house. And then your phone makes it easy for you to shop. You don't even have to leave your house anymore, and you can buy lots of things, and somebody will bring those things to your doorstep and put it right there. And it's really exciting to get a package and to open some things. And so we can spend all of our life accumulating and taking care of our things, and the enemy would love to have us distracted by that. Life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions, and so we are called to keep our lives free from the love of money and learn to be content with what we have. So, seven commands there, and all of them hard to follow, right? I don't see any of the commands on that list like, oh yeah, totally got that one. What's the next one? Keep going. Like, I look like, oh, that one's hard. Oh, I'm failing there. Because there's some people that are hard to love, so it's hard to let brotherly love continue. We have stresses in our own life, and so it's hard to remember and not neglect taking care of strangers and remembering people. Like, oh, I just, like, my life is like I live in tunnel vision because i got enough of my own tasks and stresses and problems that I'm not really doing much of caring for other people. We live in a sex-saturated world and we have lustful desires, so living holy lives and honoring marriage, fleeing from sexual immorality, that's hard. And we live in a world of wealth with hearts prone to covet, so it's hard to be content with what we have and to keep our lives free from All these things are hard. So thankfully, as we go through the end of verse 6, I don't say, all right, go try harder this week. You can do it. Pep talk from Pastor Jeremy, right? We have some help. We need some help. We hear the gospel. We need the gospel. Let's look at the end of verse 5 and verse 6. But how? Look at the end of verse 5. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isn't that good news? You hear, that, like you hear the commands, like, oh, those are good. I see why obeying these commands would cause me to do a better job of loving God and loving others in this world. It would be better if we obeyed all these commands. It would. But they're hard. And so we also need to hear this bit of good news. That though money will come and go, though the stuff we accumulate will break, though it will depreciate in value, the good news is God will never leave us. Those sources of temporary sexual pleasure will forsake us. God never will. Isn't this good news? 
Oh, good. One person thought so. Amen, right? The Spirit of the God who sent His Son to live a perfectly obedient life. I mean, think about that. Every one of these commands, Jesus obeyed them perfectly. He always loved others with brotherly love. Right? He never sinned sexually. He never loved money. He showed hospitality to strangers. We're going to go through the Gospel of Luke next, and we're going to see over and over and over again all the people that everybody else just looked over or shunned. Those are the people that what Jesus went to. Right? Showing hospitality to strangers. This is, this is what our Savior did. He perfectly obeyed the law on our behalf. He succeeded where we have failed. This is good news for us because what is offered to us through faith in Christ is that on the cross, Jesus bears all of our sin and his, it's this great exchange where our sin taken from us, the penalty paid by Jesus and his perfect righteous record given to us, imputed to us so that God the Father now sees us with the record of the Son who lived in perfect obedience to these and every other command. And so, it's this God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's, that's why we can confidently say, notice that, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. How are we going to obey these commands? We don't say, well, I can't do it, Jesus did, that's it. Now I don't need to worry about it because I have Jesus. No. We, we, because of what Christ has done for us, continue to pursue obedience of God's commands. And we do it with His help. Christ is enough, we sang earlier. He is our greatest treasure. He alone deserves our praise for what He has done for us. And even as we hear these commands, we know that His Spirit dwells in us to empower us and to equip us to obey these commands. So we, empowered by that Spirit, must be committed to going out this week, loving one another with brotherly love, showing hospitality to strangers, remembering those who are in prison and mistreated, living holy lives, especially in the areas of marriage and of money. And in this way, we bring glory to the God who is in us to help us. Let's pray. God, what a, what a gift to have you, the one who made everything, tell us how to live rightly in your world. It's fallen. It's broken. There's temptation all around us. We have an enemy who would love to steal, kill, and devour, who would love to trip us up. We know all of this. So much stacked against us. But the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And so we thank you for your commands. We've broken them and we are eternally grateful that Jesus perfectly obeyed your commands. As our representative, as, as our substitute. And so thank you. Thank you for the sure promise of your presence. And thank you for your help as we seek to live holy lives. Sticking out in this world for your glory in the name of your Son. Amen.